0: This week, we finally revealed that not only are there Fantastic Beasts, but we know where to find them as we discussed J.K. Rowling's return to her wizarding world. And we discussed the movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that is a Thunderbird in the streets and a Niffler in the sheets. If you know what I mean. And (laughs) I don't know what I mean. So if you could explain it, that would be that would be super. So upsetting. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. As you may have guessed, our generalissimo, Chris Hewitt, is away this week. Apparently, he's developing new practical jokes with Joe Biden, who teaches a class in that now. I don't know. But fear not, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, First up is a man who hides the soul of a killer behind the mild-mannered facade of an online film writer. It's John Nugent.
1: (laughs) Hello. I was hoping maybe if Chris was away, I'd... Be shed of this reputation as a.
0: I'm sorry. I tried
1: rage-filled machine.
0: I tried to think of something else, but you know that was that was. How what
1: about how about the official Empire Rock correspondence? Are you? Yes, I think I'm. I'm now his bud. I don't know if anyone's noticed this. Well, just because because you and him are like hanging out on Twitter. We well, yeah. He retweets me. We, I retweet him. You know, we have a sort of thing going on. He bought I, you a drink. He bought me a bottle of tequila. I went to Hawaii, and he gave me some tequila.
0: He called me his good friend once. It's not quite
1: Bud, though, is it, I think, I
0: think I think it is, like, good friend. Like, I think that's pretty much... It's not
1: best friend, though. That's what I'm saying.
0: No, but he didn't call you his best friend, either. <laughs> it's Thank implied. you very much. Everyone knows Lynn manuel Miranda is his best friend.
1: Uh, well, yeah, we share. We <laughs> want a timeshare.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. And you've already heard him. Uh, here here we have a man who hides the tender heart of a 14-year-old girl behind the... Behind the s- Cold blooded face and indeed mentality of a killer. It's James Dyer. (laughs) Aye. You know it's true. Yeah. But we have a question, so let's get into that. Uh, this is from NC Lowe. Hello, Natalie. Uh, What's your go-to film scene or mantra for when things are pants? I don't know what would have inspired this, because, you know, everything is fine. fine. It's just fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> totally fine. Um, but she says, I've watched Sam's The Two Towers speech a lot this year. And for reference, of course, that's the one where he, he talks about how they shouldn't be here, how it shouldn't be them, facing all this darkness and, ang- and danger. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for.
2: Is there, though?
0: Well, that's well. let's debate that. another. It's fine, David. Everything is fine. <laughs> it's all fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. So, uh, so yeah, that's a good speech, though, isn't it? It's a really good speech. It's yes. a really good moment. Sam, Samwise Gamgee, what a dude.
1: Yes. We need a few Samwise Ganges in the world today, don't yes, we? Yes,
0: preferably in positions of power and authority, actually, which God knows they're not right now. Um... So yeah, that, that one is a really good one. The one I find myself using most often is actually Aragorn's line from Return of the King. You know, that the, there may be a day when the courage of men fails, but it is not this day. And I find myself using the second part of that, like, a <laughs> lot. Although sometimes kind of in the wrong context, you know, like, I should go for a run, but it is not
3: this day.
0: <laughs> so
1: that's probably not great. I mean, should we, should we get Independence Day out of the way just because well you know, yeah it's one of the it's just got to be done I, yeah.
2: I, do you know what I'm, I'm going to be slightly controversial I don't hold with that speech anymore <gasps> what I used to really like it but it's cheesy as all hell and I think that's if his if you're going to charm a St Crispin's Day address I would sub in Mal Reynolds from Serenity any day of the week, yeah. Yeah. and twice on Sundays <laughs> I aim to misbehave that's all I'm saying
0: well, that is also a great speech, don't get me wrong. But I'm, I'm not sure we have to choose between them, do we? No, I mean it's
1: not mutually exclusive. I, I, the guy with I, the, the the saluting the guy.
0: <laughs> I had friends who saw Independence Day, the original one, in the States. And in the cinema, not at a premiere, not at any kind of fancy screening where anyone who made the film was there, people stood up and cheered <laughs> That's what Americans that. do. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't usually stand up and do it, you know, because they're yeah, sitting yeah. down. But... Um, but yeah. It's if
2: kind. I if I if there were to be a, a speech that I think I I identify with and quote most, it would be uh, you know the sheriff in From Dusk Till Dawn, uh-huh. you know at the beginning where he just turns he goes, well it's been a one long goddamn hot miserable shit ass fucking day every inch of the way. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, yes it has. <laughs>
0: You, you, you caught a bit of aliens though nine again as well
2: I do I do yeah but ironically like I'll, I'll come in and go another glorious day in the core eight <laughs> empires like a day on the farm <laughs> it isn't uh, no it's like that and uh, but, but with me it's it's you know just to fall into my own particular archetype uh, West Wing stuff just anything mm. ever said in the West Wing I, I watched uh, the episode Galileo uh yesterday because I watch it along with the West Wing Weekly podcast and that's the one that they're doing. And you know, and there's a fantastic speech about, you know, the promise of exploration and Galileo and stuff in it. And there's something so wonderfully life affirming about that show and the oratory in it is magnificent, mm-hmm. and also it gives you a vision of American politics that you know works, which is nice. Oh god, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, fictional.
0: Oh, that was a downer <laughs> to end on. Thank you for that. Um, I find uh, lots of space movies uh, inspirational in that way. So, like, like, the, I mean, uh, yes, I agree, 100% cosign everything to do with the West Wing, but. Um, but, you know, Apollo 13 and things like this, you know, failure is not, is not an option. All of these kind of speeches yeah. about getting in space and, and going and exploring, I think, are, are fantastic and sort of, uh, yeah, comforting to think that there are bigger problems than the ones we are dealing with now, which are horrendous. Every, fine. I mean, fine. It's Everything fine. is fine. It's all, all fine. fine.
1: Just don't turn on the telly. Um, it's fine. Brave heart.
2: Can, Brave They can art. take our lives, but they'll never take, take our freedom. Our freedom. That's, that is that's true. That's a great,
0: yeah. great bit. Of that. And and I, I mean, you mentioned it in passing, but the St. Christmas Day speech is a model for a reason. Yes. Um I mean, whether you prefer the Branner version or you know the Olivier version, which, by the way, that was his World War Two service was making Henry V, which is amazing to me. I think it's wonderful. Um, But the the St. Christmas Day speech, and of course also the Buffy spin on the St. Christmas Day speech, (laughs) we few, we happy few, we band of buggered, um, (laughs) also has a certain resonance at the moment. Um, Yeah. yeah.
1: I like the one that uh, John Belushi gives in National Lampoon's Animal House. (laughs) I think that that, he says something like... uh, uh, nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbour? Hell no! <laughs> no.
2: No,
0: it wasn't. <laughs> and let me explain to you why.
2: <laughs> it is true that you do turn to, in times like this, when one finds oneself not wanting to get out from under the duvet and stop sucking our thumb, uh, I, I think there is solace to be found in, in great movie escapism. There's yeah. a great screenwriting. There's just some of this stuff you read and you think, I really wish... Everyone spoke like they were in a Joss Whedon screenplay. I wish, I wish that was how people communicated. It would be a better place. Mm-hmm. It would.
0: hundred percent, I agree. Um, just uh, yeah, I, I actually have been torn in the last week or so on: do I want to go back and rewatch The West Wing, or would the contrast be too too awful right now? And do I need a little bit of time? Um, so I might, I might dip my toes in and watch The American Presidents and see if I can stand that.
2: Or watch House of Cards and hope that the other works and actually think, actually, things aren't this bad, so that's good.
0: I think they're worse than House of Cards. <laughs> I would take House of Cards. <laughs> he occasionally tries to do the right thing. Have you noticed? He also
2: murders people, but then, you know. Yeah, I mean,
0: like individual murder rather than wide-scale fascism. Sorry. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. If Kevin fine.
1: Spacey was in charge, I, I would take the widespread fascism. You know, if he had a sort of... <laughs> If he had a southern sides, you know, just like well, and the sort of yeah
0: on the table every now and again, yeah,
2: yeah, Underwood for president,
0: Underwood for I mean, right now, sure, absolutely, <laughs> I'll take him.
2: I'm gonna throw I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a slight curveball here. Uh, at the risk of having us run over, and ask my own question, just because I think it's temperate at this point. And we're going to rule out President Bartlett because he'd win in every other case. But if we could appoint a movie president instead of Trump, not just anyone, just who would you pick? Who would be one pick? each Why not
0: President Bartlett? You're mean. Because
2: no, I'm just because he wins. Otherwise, the conversation is over because he wins. Just full stop. In every any conversation, he wins. So we're taking the West Wing away from this. You have to pick a
1: non-West Wing president.
0: Well, can I have the one in the American president? That's then? cheating. I know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of that going around.
1: Uh, I would vote for President Morgan Free. Freeman oh, that was In, in Deep Impact. And, well, he's mine. good, yeah, he's yeah. good. His, his calm, measured delivery would... And his public address voice. Yes, exactly, oh. exactly. His speech-making would just yeah. soothe the nation.
0: But he does still arrange to have a million, save a million people out of the entire world's population. Like, he's not, you know... But he's,
1: yes, he's... there may be billions of lives of uh, <laughs> on his hands, but, uh, you know... <laughs> He's, he's still he steadies the ship in troubled times.
0: I suppose. Um, I safe. mean, can I have Lincoln? Oh, good ooh, shout! That, I that mean, is a good
2: shout. It's almost cheating, but sure. Okay,
0: because uh, I like Lincoln. I also like JFK in Thirteen Days. Yes, I think it's a great that's portrayal good. of him. That's very good. Um, and uh, in terms of fictional ones, I mean, yeah, and Morgan Freeman did did cross my mind. No question about it. Um, but there must be other. Oh, Dave. Dave was pretty Dave good Dave is a good one Dave is He's really good
2: never technically the president but
0: no yes. but technically you know nobody knows that so hey does Trump have any lookalikes
2: I honestly pray not for the sake of the gene pool but yeah um, yeah. well you've stolen mine but I'll say you know if we're looking at a better president than the one we're going to have I would go with uh, the Dark Lord Sauron
0: <laughs> I mean it's hard to argue with that goodness well I hope we didn't get political there because everything's fine uh, it's just fine um so we should probably move on to some movie news, shouldn't we? Yes, I think. let's do that. Um, what has been happening this week?
1: Well, literally overnight, we had <gasps> the new trailer for Kong Skull Island. Have you seen this?
0: I haven't watched it yet. Tell me about it.
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, King Kong is back <gasps> and he's big. and he's This time it's personal? This time it's not really personal oh. because he's not fully sentient. But oh, um. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But no, he's he's very much uh, as big and as probably bigger than ever. I mean, if you've seen the teaser poster, he's almost as big as the sun.
0: I was a bit confused by the scale in that poster. I,
1: I, I'm not really sure how big he is. Like, It seems like with monster movies, CGI has meant they're getting exponentially larger mm. with each
2: film. Well, there's a reason with this one, isn't there? W- what's that? It's because he needs to, at some point, fight Godzilla. That's and Godzilla right. Godzilla is enormous. That's so they right. have to have
1: him bigger or he'd get squashed that's that's exactly the reason yeah that literally that exactly. is that is it's it's not very uh yeah story driven reason.
0: also maybe the fact that it's now 80 years later maybe maybe that's a reason why he's oh wait he think? died in that one carry on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what in the 33
1: version zombie kong yeah
0: 28
1: kongs later so this is set when in the 70s is that right is it i think so okay well, sure. I, 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 we need we Nick in here because ask the two people who haven't watched the trailer. Yes,
0: and we've got uh, who else is in the cast? We've got Brie Larson and, and uh, Tom, Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston, Hiddleston yeah, it's leads. a pretty good cast. It's good Samuel it's Jackson start. is in
1: there. Fantastic. Um, uh, John Goodman is doing his doing. John Goodman in good. being sort of bellowy. Um, and uh, John C. Riley pops up as well as a sort of bearded crazy man which is always fun oh cool um, it looks interesting I think it, it's interesting the trailers showed that we've got a bit of a comedy tone to it there's a lightness to it which we didn't perhaps see in something like Godzilla mm-hmm. um, on, on the recent Godzilla remake and you know this is directed by Jordan Vogt-Roberts who did The Kings of Summer which is a very funny sort of uh, well it's quite funny sort of coming of age um, indie indie dramedy, I suppose so you've got that sort of indie vibe to it, and the the, the visually, it, I, there's some slightly ropey-looking CGI. Some of the monsters I was less convinced by, um, but King Kong himself looks good. He looks tough. He looks strong. Mm. And uh, and
0: sometimes some- you're getting sort of. And Sometimes in a trailer you're getting non-finished CG. So, yes, yeah, you, know, you can hope be, that it, yeah.
1: it, it might be uh, spruced up come the release. Um, and, but I like the color palette. It looks colorful. It looks sort of. It has. A, they're going for a some sort of Technicolor fifties mm. vibe. I think they're trying to, you know, recreate a little bit of the tone of the the, the old school monster movies. Perhaps. Mm. I'm interested to see this one. I, I must admit, I found Peter Jackson's Kong to be very
2: sort of wearing. Because it was approximately three weeks long, and that didn't help. <laughs> oh, I but,
0: enjoyed it, but
2: yeah, no, it's, it's not a bad. And the I'm... T-Rex three-way is is something to be held. <laughs> Good Lord, I probably phrase that differently. <laughs> but um, but you, but by the time you get to New York, you've kind of praying for a monkey to squash you. So you know.
0: I am like ape. Uh, sorry, technically. An oh ape. yeah, take thank you. Um. Uh, the librarian also you. yes but I know, I, I really like that even though actually I remember going to see that that was a Sunday morning screening Sam Toy Sunday hello Sam
2: morning afternoon evening and early oh, next morning
0: oh no come on um, that was a Sunday morning screening in Sam Toy formerly of this parish hi Sam uh, saved us all seats in the front row of the balcony. He did and we all sat there and it was and it was great. Uh, except the fact that I had a large coffee before the film started and that was a strategic error. Yes. Let's say. Um, but even with that, I still really enjoyed it. Apart from the bug scene, which can drop dead. I hated it. It was horrible. So <laughs> <laughs> um, Kong
2: Skull Island trailer. Watch it. Yeah, definitely. Yes. <laughs> including us.
0: Yeah, I will. <laughs> um, I have exciting news. Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh, is making a secret Disney film. Now, we don't know anything more about it, so that's basically all there is to say. But, um, but I do find it kind of interesting. So we already know that Disney owns our childhoods, right? I mean, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, Pirates of the Caribbean, all of the, their own animated films now going into live action, Pixar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they're now basically bagging the biggest sort of cultural phenomenon to come out elsewhere, as a basic Disney sort of stalwart, because he's now done the music for the Cantina in Force Awakens, he obviously did music for Moana. He's obviously in the new Mary Poppins movie. He's making, he's doing new music for the new Little Mermaid live action movie, and he's in addition to that doing this new
2: Secret Plan to Fight
0: Inflation. Secret Plan to Fight Inflation. So I don't know. I just <laughs> find it. I find it really interesting. I mean, it's obviously a smart move on Disney's part because he is a phenomenon, and why would you not? But he is. He kinda seems to be tying his his little rowboat to the Disney Ocean liner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's no bad thing, right? No, I mean
0: it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. He's a huge cool. fan of, of those original movies. I mean he totally geeks out by Alan Menken, you know, justifiably, yeah, that kind of thing. So it, it, no no shade to either party. I just find it really interesting that they're that canny mm. at spotting talent and they getting are. it in.
1: I mean that Disney have everything good in the world, don't they? Really. But what, what, what do we know about this project though? I I did see somewhere that is it Brian Howard's the Utopolus director, Utopia director. Is working with with Lin Manuel on this.
0: I mean, yes, good. So that will
1: and that's, that will work. That's a good. That's a good combination. A good good I think. combination
0: of people. Absolutely. I mean, I think uh, n- nobody expected much of Zootropatopelus no, um, before sure. it came out, including myself. I, I have to say, I, I, heard, I saw some early footage and thought, eh, "That's nice," but I don't really care about talking animals. Mm-hmm. And then saw the film and was blown away. Um, so yeah, it's de- it's definitely sort of promising, but literally that's all we got. Secret potential new film uh, that's the fun thing about working with someone and having it go well you, you go okay what else can we do said Miranda um, John Lasseter took me aside and said I have an idea here's Brian you guys should start talking so there you go that's awesome um,
1: and it's good that, like, I, I get the feeling that Disney animation on a really good streak at the moment. Yeah. Like and I haven't seen, but you, you hear many things. I mean, I'm
0: I, I probably embargoed if I had seen it. Well, I, would yes. probably be, I probably wouldn't be able to say that I think it's brilliant. There you go. You'd so.
1: definitely be breaking some sort yeah, of agreement probably. by saying that. Uh, but no, they, they've they've uh, they've had an unbroken run of hits, really, mm. and I think they're more creatively adventurous, perhaps, than the the studio side of things, which tends to, at the moment, is going for the the live action stuff is, is kind of mostly remakes.
0: Hey hey moment. hey! I know Chris isn't here, but I hope you're not going to use that opportunity to slice <laughs> off Marvel because I'm you know obviously that's going to. Get oh, in I didn't trouble. mean Marvel. No, of course, oh, okay. um, I
1: would I wouldn't wouldn't dare. I'd... But
0: even the live action, I mean, Jungle Book was the last one that was great, yes. and Cinderella- no, no, absolutely, Cinderella turned out. I mean. Yeah.
1: They're, they're, you know, they're, they're having a pretty good run. They're having a pretty good run, just in general, yeah. aren't they?
0: But I think the the animation side is interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, there there were jokes going around when Disney bought Pixar that what they actually wanted mo- more than Pixar itself was John Lasseter, yes. and they paid seven billion dollars for John Lasseter essentially, um, and he went and became head of the Imagineers of of the director DVD films, and also crucially of Disney Animation, which he kind of made over, not just in bringing in a few ideas that worked at Pixar but he also brought in stuff that Disney Walt Disney used to do with his animation division and he brought that kind of back to Disney he kind of brought Disney home to itself almost mm. and i think what we're seeing is it began to pay off i would say with the princess and the frog and those films but it's really hit its stride now there's no yeah. question about it so um so yeah absolutely it's um yeah they may they may be a behemoth but they, they kind of got there by the right reasons so it's kind of hard to complain about it they're not giving up their <laughs> shot have i got that right not throwing Give, away their this sh- yeah there we that's go that's correct yep Ye gods. (laughs) Um, Do either of you know anything about Minecraft? Can you tell me about Steve Carell and Minecraft?
2: I I haven't read the news story, so I'm going to say, you tell me what the news is, and I will try and explain it in Minecraftian terms. (laughs) Okay.
0: So it's going to be like green pixels. Um, Okay, so uh, they are planning to make a movie based on Minecraft. I have no idea what form this could possibly take. Well, they'll be square. Okay. Um, And Steve Carell has entered talks to star in it. As a square. I, I don't. A cube, that, sorry. They haven't. They haven't said that's the case. Uh, Jason Fuchs, who wrote the script for Wonder Woman, is screenwriting, and Rob McElhenney is still aboard to direct.
2: It's yeah. I I must admit, I'm no, by no means a Minecraft expert. I did play it once for an afternoon, and I uh, was basically in the survival mode and zombies started coming at night and I ran away and got scared and I tried building a column to stand on top of to stay away from the zombies and then I fell off so I tunnelled into a mountain and built myself a cave and walled myself into the cave so the zombies couldn't get me and then I was just scared to come out and that is the sum total of my Minecraft experience.
0: Well that's not really helpful in terms of <laughs> but understanding anything. that could be anything. the
2: story of the film.
0: You hiding in a cave
2: admittedly, it would have niche appeal, but (laughs) I built a kiln in the cave and started to make rudimentary pottery.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) my gosh, I mean...
2: It included a bowl and, at one point, a wooden spoon.
0: Uh, in a kiln
2: well I'm not sure where I think I might have cut down a tree before I went into the cave it's kind of hard to say because they're all you know well this has the makings for a great movie yeah I mean it could be awesome goodness I mean Um, talk about compelling let's be honest though, Minecraft is a phenomenon I mean there's Minecraft Lego there's Minecraft everything kids have gone nuts for it apparently it teaches them basic programming I don't know how but I'm sure it does Uh, it lets them build things Uh, and it reminds me of my childhood if only because the graphics of Minecraft are not dissimilar to the games (laughs) I played when I was a child um
0: but you can build crazy stuff like people built M- Minas Tirith in uh, and Minecraft, and the enterprise, and
2: right? um, uh, the level of, of creativity in it is absolutely off the chain. In fact, we did a thing a while back on like the greatest film related Minecraft thing. I think someone's done the Death Star. I mean, it's I mean, it's nuts. Wow! And people have a lot of free time. But uh, still, if you're going to do anything, then why wouldn't you build Minas Tirith oh, out enough. of Minecraft blocks? But
0: I mean, Rob McElhenney, he's basically he's the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's this is this would be his oh, right. feature debut as a director. Yeah and so there must be some approach that kind of plays to his strengths and Steve Carell as well that, that it feels like we're maybe moving in a slightly comic direction with this which maybe works with the, with the, the game
1: I mean if it's better than Pixels then you know then great they've got a low <laughs> bar better than Pixels and half as good as Lego Movie I think we're we're on All right. it. alright yeah okay
0: so. well um, I think you know any of us is better than Pixels <laughs> so you know it shouldn't be easy um,
2: we should maybe also mention that yeah. uh, uh, Michael Green who's involved in the American Gods adaptation, is uh, now attached to Why the Last Man. Oh, yes. Yes, this Uh, is exciting. Which is exciting. Why the Last Man is a really, really great comic series. If you haven't read it, absolutely do. Uh, It's a vertigo imprint. It is essentially a post-apocalyptic world where everyone with a Y chromosome dies.
0: Yeah, including animals, actually.
2: Including animals, except for one man and his monkey. One
0: man and Uh, his monkey.
2: Yorick Brown, the man, and Ampersand, the awesomely named Capuchin monkey. Yeah, Uh, it's. I mean, it's an incredible story because you think, oh, that's a clever setup. You think, well, where do they go from there? But I mean, it's fascinating. It's heartbreaking. It's got an amazing ending. I mean, it's a. Mm. It's a really phenomenal series. It's it's
0: one of the comics that has made me cry most. Like it's
2: just Mm. that bit with the thing and when oh oh, uh, and then with the snow in the woods at the end.
0: Oh my goodness! Can't even. Um, yeah, I mean, this was developed as a film for a long time. DJ Caruso was going to make it with Shia LaBeouf yeah. back immediately after, e- uh, was Eagle Eye? Or before Eagle Eye, it was after Dis- Disturbia. Yeah, Disturbia, yeah. Um, so it's, it's been talked about and talked about and they have failed and failed and failed to get it off the ground. Possibly because, let's be honest, apart from Yorick, there will be zero <laughs> male characters in it, you know, so it's a difficult one maybe to sell to studios like, and, yeah, but what about the guys? Yeah, and and their, there's um, lots of
2: women in it who cut their breasts off to become... Only
0: one breast,
2: yes, just because it
0: gets in the way of the, of bow. the bow.
2: But they don't use both, so it's symbolic, I think.
0: Yeah, well, but that's true. Still. Um, so, yeah, what, it's good that we're, we're still talking about this and it's still looking like a possibility. Also, an exciting uh, TV adaptation news, Stranger in a Strange Land, the absolute classic Robert Heinlein, Heinlein story is also headed for the big screen, so fingers crossed that that doesn't end up rubbish. Um, and... I was quite excited by a piece of cameo news. Oceans 8 is obviously already yes. filming with a cast who wear fantastic coats. It's kind of like Fantastic Beasts, but for girls.
2: I think we can all say that Damon, <laughs> like, like Game On. But,
0: uh, it's yeah. Damon, yes, because yeah. Matt Damon's going to make a cameo.
1: Oh, Damon. Oh, <laughs> I see. It's Damon. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah
0: that's so, awesome. so Linus could Very be good. the connecting tissue between Oceans 11, 12 and 13 and 8. Or there might be more. We don't know. Uh, so that's it's it's been a Reasonably quiet week, right? There haven't been huge numbers of other stories. The the other one that leapt out to me is the Inhumans. So Marvel had announced an Inhumans movie for I think twenty nineteen, I think maybe twenty twenty. They then kind of have reversed that. They're not going to release an Inhumans movie, uh, which is a bit of a surprise because they had actually started setting it up in Agents of Shield. They started having some of the Inhuman maybe not the main characters but they, they'd had the Inhumans kind of set up they'd had the Terrigen Mist they had all that kind of stuff um, and they've now decided to make the Inhumans into a TV series but the wrinkle is the first two episodes they're planning to debut for two weeks on IMAX huh. I, so I, this I saw is this. Yeah. not quite what we've seen done before this is an interesting new wrinkle in the whole ongoing TV film split yeah and I think I
1: heard somewhere that the entire show is going to be shot in IMAX, on IMAX cameras at least, uh, which is surprising. Hmm. Mental. Because, no I ways. mean, IMAX cameras are very expensive. Yep. They're very heavy. They're, they're very noisy. They're, they're noisy, they're annoying, yeah. Incredibly yeah. noisy. Practically, they're just not useful. Everyone who uses them hates them. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're no, a pain in the ass.
0: That's not true. Everyone who uses them for a dialogue scene hates them. Everybody who uses them for an action scene <laughs> yes. fucking loves them.
1: So, I mean, I guess you, th- this is a statement of intent on the sort of scale and scope of this sort of show, that it's not going to be lots of, you know, quiet talking in rooms. It's going to be
2: big, <laughs> well, bold action. Well, given that the main inhuman is a guy who kills everyone if he speaks. Oh, right. Perhaps... Yeah. This is the way they're doing it. He can speak, but they can't hear him over the sound of the cameras, so everyone's okay.
0: <laughs> Thank goodness for IMAX. It yeah. saved us all. So explain
1: Blackboard. to me, uh, I'm I'm unfamiliar with this. What What is an inhuman? And what? In, in, the inhumans are, well, they live on the moon, and they <laughs> oh, are have sure? a dog
2: that can teleport, and a woman who has prehensile hair, and mm-hmm. the man who kills you by talking to you. And that's pretty much it. Uh, and they, they're like mutants, but they become mutants by inhaling the Terrigen mists, which is... Right. And it's like freebasing, I think. It's like a it's like, <laughs> it's like mist that goes in a room and it does stuff.
0: Well, no, it's, it, it's mist that either kills you or makes you into a superhero.
1: Again, freebasing.
0: Oh, okay. Jake, James, can we, <laughs> kids, don't do drugs, so all it's right? It's like
1: Breaking Bad of the Marvel Universe. It's, yeah. I mean, it's
0: really not, it's but It's a meth sure. lab in space, <laughs> okay. on the moon. Right. <laughs> Again, I say kids, don't do drugs. Um, or... Yeah, whatever James is proposing, uh, but yeah, it's it's a sort of like so the Terrigen Mist like transforms you. So like Ms. Marvel in the comics is was transformed by the Terrigen Mist,
1: right? Okay, example. okay. Um, and as it's an I recall, important, Mist.
2: Quicksilver was depowered during the House, House of, of M, M event, yeah. and then it gets powers back by going and snorting Terrigen Mists.
0: I don't think you snort, but yeah, I mean, but, sure, yeah, that yeah. that that is a, that is the case, um, and. Uh, Yeah, and they have a complicated royal family. They have some really ancient prehistory with the Cree, as I remember, uh, and and some of the elders and all that malarkey. But it's an interesting... Basically, it kind of gives Marvel TV and movie an alternative to the X-Men. Right. um, Because they don't have the rights to the mutants, obviously, so this is kind of an alternate way to kind of play with some of those issues.
2: And what's not to love about a teleporting bulldog?
0: Indeed, or indeed a guy whose sort of superhero name is... Black Bolt That's the guy who can't speak because his power but is his real name. But is. his real name is Blackagon Boltigar. What?
2: You see what they did there.
0: <laughs> what?
2: Blackagon Baltigar.
0: Blackagon Boltigar.
2: <laughs> that sounds like a Douglas Adams character. Yeah. It
0: kinda does. Yeah. But you know, they're they're
3: fun.
2: And and the woman with the prehensile hair, who has massive Barbarella star but red, uh, is called Medusa. Okay. Yeah. Sold. I'm sold. That sounds great. They're actually, to be fair, we're making fun of it, but it's a lot of fun. Inhumans uh, yeah. It's a good comic strip. It's, mm. uh, I, and I'm quite excited to and see And some it.
0: of the stuff they've done in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with the Inhumans has been, well, I mean, it's been up and down, but some of it's been really cool. So, yeah. fingers crossed for this. So, any more news?
1: Okay, I have a very quick bit of news. The other day we had word that Hayao Miyazaki, yes. the uh, founder and stalwart of Studio Ghibli, the Japanese anime studio, might be coming out of retirement for one last job. For one last job. One last time, you might He's say. He's been dragged out of retirement. It's 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 very much might at this moment. Uh, we've we've only had word from an interview he did with a, a Japanese TV station. Uh, so you remember back in 2013, he directed The Wind Rises and he announced that would be his last film. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no obvious successor. So Studio Ghibli has kind of wound down. It's on a sort of hiatus at the moment. There's been a couple of films since The Wind Rises, but there's nothing really in the in the pipeline. Uh, but he's still sort of working. The guy is 75 now. He's He's been making little short films for the Studio Ghibli Museum in Tokyo. Uh, and he's not been happy with this CGI short film that he's been making so he decided to just spin it out into a feature film and it's called Kimushu Noboru which uh means borrow the caterpillar so it's, it's a feature so film there. about a caterpillar
0: I'm so there I mean it
1: sounds great I I don't know anything more about it but I love it already I'm thrilled and he hasn't been greenlit lit by anyth- anyone I'm not sure he has you know the proper funding in place yet um, but he's starting on storyboards he's, he's working on the animation now so
0: my question to you is what kind of monster would not throw money at Hayao Miyazaki well, I
1: mean yeah it, if, if he wants to make a film he will make a film like it, it will happen he, Spirited Away is still the biggest movie ever released in Japan
0: is it? Um, yes. Got a
1: fact. Fifteen years on, and wow. it, nobody has ever topped it.
0: Yeah, and the only ones that have come close are pretty much other Miyazaki films. Yes. So. Yes. I did not
1: know that. So uh, we hope that he can he can get this one done because it's going to be it would be lovely to see him back.
0: Amen to that. Yes. Um, all right, I think it's time for a guest now, or even two guests, because this week we've spoken to two of the best British exports around, David Iyelowo and Rosamund Pike. They star together in Ama Asante's upcoming film, A United Kingdom, which is the story of African leader Soretzi Kama and his British-born wife, Ruth Williams. And they fought prejudice and empire and basically everything the world could throw at them to get married in the 1940s. So if you're depressed about the utter state of politics right now... Uh, this might be a little bit of a sort of a relief for that and a escape from that. And uh, we sent Phil along to talk to the genetically blessed pair in London recently. So enjoy.
4: Rosamund Pike and David Elowho, it's a real pleasure to welcome you both to the Empire Podcast. You were just saying before we started uh, that you haven't seen each other for a little while. When was the last time?
5: Um, Is it... Is it as long ago as when we actually shot the film? Yes, I think it is. Oh, my goodness. So you
4: guys are catching up live so on the podcast. <laughs>
5: yes, are. yes, we are. We haven't uh, seen He's each other since haircut. we were married. He's got a very nice new hairdo. <laughs> Thank you. You look very lovely yourself. Um, no, unfortunately, um, Rosman couldn't be our Toronto premiere because she was um, doing a film in New Mexico. Right? In
3: yes. Hostiles.
5: And, uh, no we
3: did, window we did everything we
5: did everything we could and uh, but here we are so uh, sending in a snatch team to pull her out of I, j- I tried, honestly tried, to tried, tried everything I was prepared to go myself Drive yeah, across to America Steal <laughs> her by night um, But alas A bit like the film We were kept apart
4: um, <laughs> Can, can well. two people handle Any more heartbreak? <laughs> but here <laughs> yeah. we are Well it's it, This is the eve of the London Film Festival But we'll be airing this Just before the film's release So it will have happened Do you think you will have Enjoyed the experience? It's hard to say before it's happened, but is it a, 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 a premiere's I mean, you're opening the London Film Festival, which for both of you must be a bit of a buzz, I imagine, in, in London.
3: Yes, it is for me. Yeah, I, I, I think to bring a film like this to a London audience is, is, is really exciting. I mean, it's a story, I think, that people will, will be saying, why didn't we know about this before? Mm. And I think, you know, it, it can make you a bit ashamed to be British, but then at the same point... Um, you know the the couple and what they stand for is is so inspiring i think people will be very excited to to, to know this part of their history that yeah. they didn't previously know
4: just for listeners do you want to maybe ruth williams and sretse Karma, do you want to give us just a just a tiny bit of background about, about who they are. And it's a, it's a difficult question because they obviously had a very momentous life together.
5: Yeah, but well, um, Suretse Kama, who I play in the film, or was heir to the throne of Botswana land, which is now called Botswana. And he met Ruth Williams, as played by Rosamund, in the, the late 40s, just after the Second World War. And um, they fell in love... And um, I think they didn't fully appreciate what an interracial marriage between the two of them would mean to their individual countries, Great Britain mm. and uh, we'll call it Botswana for the sake of this interview. And then South Africa, which was in the process of um, legalizing apartheid. And, uh, but their, their love was a force that cut through so much and, and went on to pretty much be a part of forming what Botswana is today.
4: You're right there, Rosamond. I mean, it's surprising we haven't really heard more about this story because it is incredible. It changed the kind of structure of the country. That- I think
3: because the the British government, you know, conducted themselves from a position of cowardice, really, with regard to South Africa. They they were more at the time they seemed more intent on preserving that relationship with South Africa and keeping South Africa in the Commonwealth and and making use of the reserves minerals. Uranium that South Africa could offer than than they were in supporting what is so clearly right, which is that this man should be allowed to rule his country with the wife he chooses. Um, I mean, you know, and because Botswana land, Botswana as it is now, was a protectorate at that time, Britain had a say in the running of the country, so they were able to banish Soretze from being in his country. So. You know, it's astonishing, really, when you—I mean, people can't believe that this is what that couple was subjected to. Um, but but what, but what I love about the story is that you start from as a couple; it just starts as a love story. The politics come crashing in, unwanted and uncourted um, by them. And you know, for, for Ruth, I mean, she—you watch a, a woman go from. You know, someone who, who has the appetite for a bigger life but has been pretty sheltered and it has no political ambition into someone who has to, is forced to become a stateswoman, really.
4: Um, hot. I, I spoke to Amaris Nancy, the director, yesterday, and she said some of the days got up to mid 50s, especially inside the. the, the there's an aeroplane which you guys obviously travel into the country on oh, in yeah. the film. That. The
3: heat was. I mean, I never, I never will forget that particular kind of heat that you you felt. It boiled your eyeballs. I mean, I, I wear yeah. contact lenses, and I said to David, "I think I've just my contact lenses have just shriveled up." <laughs> and, then, and then biting, and then a peeling an orange, and the orange being hot, oh, the juice being hot, really? and you think, okay, this is heat of another league. Yeah. Um. But you you acclimatized to it because then it was interesting because we did a scene with. David's wife came into oh, yes. it and um, and I by that time realised how I was just fine with heat and I watched these two other girls who just sort of come in yeah. suffering acutely I mean it was you do, well, I, I was a shocked
5: as to how well you handled that. I mean, you know, Rosamund had to do Be the scene of, of giving birth, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, in, in it was in this hospital and like she, she says, uh, you know, Jess, my my wife, and, and, and she just couldn't bear it, but she had by that time acclimatised. The stillness. Yeah.
3: And sometimes chose to wear, because I felt that I wanted Ruth's, or some of her awkwardness, you know, so I chose to wear stockings and things, which and gloves, and a coat when she arrives, because... <laughs> <laughs> you know i always found it really charming that ruth you know serrez is in effect a king of his country and and ruth's only model for how to be a queen is looking at princess margaret or looking at the queen so you know she's she's quite sweet you know she she doesn't really know what to do but she sees you know the formality of dress that might be appropriate and comes in a coat and gloves and her little string of pearls, and she, you know, she's a very simple creature, Ruth. In terms of her dress, she does not, you know, she's not someone who comes with buckets of suitcases. To the point that actually, when a photographer came out to um, photograph them, this photographer from Life magazine ended up leaving all her own clothes because she was so shocked at really? how little Ruth had with her as sort of first yeah, lady you, of this you, country.
5: You, you see quite a few of the photographs. She's pretty much wearing the same dress. so she It looks dresses. like everything was ta- <laughs> all the pictures were taken on the same day, but she just was very frugal. Um, you also spend uh, a
4: portion of the second half of the movie holding uh, a small child, Jacqueline, obviously. One of the cutest babies I think I've seen on on screen, but not the smallest of of Well, Jacqueline. There were many
3: Jacqueline's. Um, Jacqueline was. We were. We were very open in our. You know, and we had. You know, Jacqueline was sometimes a boy, sometimes a girl, (laughs) sometimes. And and actually, um, a biracial baby is is not an easy thing to find in Botswana. Right. Um, I mean, you know, now. So, so our 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 team of ads. I mean, I remember when we needed the newborn Jacqueline. I think one of our... I think our second... Our third AD, Wesley, mm. saw a woman about to board a bus with a small, um, light-skinned child and right. sort of ran down the road after her and said, you right. know, we're doing this film. And could help. And people were incredibly supportive. I mean, there was no chance of twins, which is normally the way when you film with babies, right. um, that people try to use twins. Mm. And we didn't find any twins, did we, to use? so, So that baby was... Crucial and that, you know, and Rosamond
5: was was heroic, I have to say, because this baby was not a trained film baby, yes, and seemed to feel like crying very loudly was what was required. Oh, really? And uh, Rosamond had to do a lot of uh, genuine off screen mothering, yeah. So
3: you have to to find a way in that's gonna crack. Um, there, there, were, there were there were there were three different four different Jacquelines actually. Right. Um at different stages of growth. But but one was particularly particularly difficult. Oh, wonderful on the Vocal. first day. Vocal Vocal, Vocal. yes. <laughs> you know, you had to hand hand Jacqueline over to the guy playing Circadi, so yeah. it's his uncle. And his line had to be, Oh, she is a sweet one <laughs> And this baby just <laughs> took one look at him and howled and screamed and you just have to hold the baby out of camera so just a little foot comes into frame and he just smiles and says oh she is a sweet one yeah that was
5: (laughs) award winning Uh, acting on his part at that point Uh, yeah
3: can I ask a couple of quick fire
4: questions about upcoming projects because you both got very exciting things ahead Mm -hmm. Um, I'm intrigued by HHHH H, I don't so know. It's hard lie. to sort of stop saying the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've just seen Anthropoid, which tackles the subject from a very different oh. way. Can you sort of explain to the listeners how H H H H is going to be uh, diff- uh Tackles the the Heydrich assassination. You put H H
3: H starts with a point of view of watching this man Reinhard Heydrich become the master of death that he was in 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 designing and executing the final solution. I mean he. But it it really follows him and and has a very interesting and unusual structure because you start off with this young naval officer who is shamed in the Navy and kicked out for a sexual misdemeanor just while he's meeting the woman who ends up becoming his wife and I play his wife Lena, who you know is a, is, is a fascinating character because she is someone who believed wholeheartedly ardently in the Nazi party she, her parents had been wealthy had fallen from grace in the great depression that Germany had suffered after the first world war Hitler seemed like the saving grace she um met Reinhard Heydrich sort of felt the the thing in him that was disturbed, and 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 she was incredibly attracted to it, mm. and she really encouraged him. She introduced him um, to Himmler, and sort of set his course. And it, it was the, it's a real story of you know you feed the monster, and then one day the monster yeah. becomes terrifying and eats you. You know She's it's that, of- and she and, and and you know it, it was as an acting challenge it 's incredibly interesting to go and play somebody whose politics are reprehensible and to but to not judge the character to mm. not go from that point of view of course we know that I am not going to agree with lena Heydrich's politics but for me to explore why she believed in them why she thought Hitler was great and to own that that 's mm. incredibly interesting and then to go from that straight into filming a united Kingdom <laughs> you know dealing with mm. two issues of of racism and race issue racial issues in it was sort of like a you know, it was like atonement. Really, doing <laughs> doing a United Kingdom after that.
4: Not the movie, the 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 concept. Uh, the concept yes. of atonement. Yes, um, it was like
3: atoning. Right. For my, so she's a my... she's
4: sort of slightly Lady Macbeth Maybe Nazis. slightly.
3: Maybe slightly. And and then and then we cut back to the assassination attempt, right. and um, we then follow the lives of the. Um, the training check right. for fighters from the oh, okay. from starting in Scotland, but you know Heydrich, you know I think it's an interesting way to do film because Heydrich, as all these people are, are disturbing and fascinating, charismatic, compelling characters. Yeah, and I think it is good to put, you know, the in a way the hero of the piece is, is the antihero.
4: And you've got untitled Nash. Edgerton project
5: is that yet titled? I know, I know. Or is it going it's, to be called it's that? Kind of frustrating, but it's still untitled. But no, it's, it remains untitled. But uh, yes, Nash Edgerton directed it, and Joel Edgerton, Charlize Theron, myself, Amanda Seyfried, Tandy Newton. Shalto Copley, you know, really, really nice cast. And that's an action comedy, which is a a very different speed for me. And it's basically me being chased across Mexico by the cartel and my very dodgy bosses, as played by Joel and Charlize.
4: Now, what's your character called?
5: Uh, He's called Harold Shoyinka. So he's a, a Nigerian immigrant who works for both Joel and, and Charlize and uh, makes the very ill-advised uh, choice to fake his own kidnapping in right. Mexico as revenge against his bosses. Okay. Really bad sounds idea. Sounds like Amy Dunn. Right. <laughs> well, you know, just mixing it up. <laughs> gone Boy. Yes, Gone Boy. <laughs> There's your title. <laughs> Thank you so much. We've spent a year trying to think. Thanks, Rosman. Gone Boy. So I'll be doing Gone Boy. <laughs>
4: Rosamund and David, thank you so much for joining us. Real pleasure. Thank Thank
0: you. you. All right, so United Kingdom will be out next week, I think I'm right in saying. Yes? Yes. Sounds right. Uh, So I think we should probably focus now, however, on this week's movie reviews. And first of all, there can be only one series of five films to follow the previous eight it is of course Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them the first screenplay by J.K. Rowling uh, and the return to her wizarding world so what did we think of this one?
2: It's very exciting, isn't it, to have magic back? Uh, <laughs> y- y- uh, yes, this is it's an interesting one, this, because this is obviously comes from, well, the title at least comes from that comic relief book she did about, what is it, 15, 16 years ago, along with Quidditch Through the Ages, which is presumably the next film. Um, <laughs> and this essentially charts uh, the adventures of Newt Scamander, who we've heard from the Harry Potter books, who has gone to New York with a suitcase full of magical beasts, uh, and they get out. It's fantastical beasts... What, Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. His fantastical beasts invade New York City, getting up to all manner of things, being at various points disgusting and adorable. Uh, But there's also stuff going on, like evil dark wizard Grindelwald is is, uh, ticking away in the background with nefarious things. There's uh, the new Sailor myths or a kind of witch-hunting uh, superstitious group who have kind of got on or cottoned on to the fact that magic is around uh, there's lots of stuff humming happening in the American equivalent of the Ministry of Magic which is called the what's the what's MACUSA the, MACUSA
0: Magical Council of the United States of America I think
2: it's good yes thank you MACUSA uh, so yes there's lots of different threads to this film lots of different narratives all coming along uh, and Eddie Redmayne obviously starts as stars as Newt Scamander. Um, I this is this is lots of fun I mean it's magical it's full of beasts I think you know if you love Potter, it's just more of the same. I think lots of people were very upset when uh, the Deathly Hallows spelled the end of, of Harry's adventures at Hogwarts. and It's nice to see a way of continuing that without it feeling forced. Yeah. Um, and it does, as the title might suggest, have fantastic beasts in it. And I think if I had to pick one, it would be the Niffler.
0: The Niffler is the adorable. The Niffler is
2: my favourite beast.
0: I like the Thunderbird Frank. myself Frank is good but I mean yeah there's no question the the effects on the beasts are just gorgeous the design is glorious Um, they absolutely feel true to life and they're they're just wonderful to look at really Um, I think some of the best bits in the film are essentially Newt showing his new friend Jacob who's played by Dan Fogler around his suitcase which is full of his kind of zoo. It's a
2: it's a giant magical petting zoo. It's
0: a giant magical petting zoo. And
2: some of the things in there are just fascinating and there's so much invention and they're beautifully rendered. Uh, yeah, it's it's lots of fun and there's lots of texture which I really like to it as well. Like the MACUSA feels very different to the Ministry of Magic. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the kind of the American wizarding community has a completely different flavour to the kind of fusty British one. I mean, they're still apparating all over the place and axioing things. But it <laughs> felt much more, I don't felt much more American. Do you know what I mean? It felt mm. much more institutional. It's very. It was. It was a very interesting feeling, and um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm fascinated to see where this goes. You know, initially when I heard they were going to do five of these, I kind of rolled my eyes and thought, "Oh God," you know, cash in. But there's a part of me, I'm really interested to see where this world goes mm. and where they take it from. I think
0: it does help. It does benefit from that 80 year gap because it does feel yeah. like a different world. It doesn't feel exactly like oh, it's more of the same. But we're not in a school now. We're not among boy and girl wizards. Mm. We're not in. England even were not among the sort of familiar institutions that we've seen before or the familiar landscapes we've seen before. And I think that really, really helps it. Um, I mean, I I wrote the review. I did have some reservations which were mostly around the The fact that I didn't feel like there's sort of two different plots going on here without saying too much and, and they really didn't weave together as nimbly or as elegantly as I would like to see. I think that's partly because there's so much world building in this film because you've got new characters, new setting, new beasts. It's a lot to explain. And I think maybe, you know, in the same way that the first Harry Potter's had a lot to explain, I think that maybe kind of sometimes slows the plot down and makes yeah. things less elegant. But at the same time, you know, all the individual ingredients are good. I think they just don't all hang together quite as much as you want, maybe.
2: A part of that, I think, is, I mean, J.K. Rowling is an incredibly you know, inventive writer. She has a fantastic imagination. But uh, structure, I think, as we've discussed, isn't necessarily her forte. And I think in this, you know, screenplays require obviously much more structure, than a novel to work in that compressed time frame and the structure doesn't quite click together in a way that it should Um, and I think my only other worry for it as a film is that younger audiences might struggle a little bit in that it doesn't have a great many sort of child characters to identify with and it feels quite dry a lot of the time it doesn't have that sense of sort of mischievous fun uh, it does when the beasts are around but in the other threads there isn't that sense of mischievous fun mm. so I do wonder whether sort of certainly younger viewers who love Potter might find their attention wandering a little bit that's, that's probably
0: true but then I think that's probably true of the last couple of Potter films as Very well true. So. Cause this is
2: quite dark I mean it's mm. not like this has gone back to Philosopher's Stone and we're all sort of bubbly again it's and it's not quite Deathly Hallows it falls in between but it's <laughs> Order it's, of the
0: Phoenix it's <laughs> Order of the
2: Phoenix levels <laughs> of darkness I mean it it's 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 quite you know full on and intense in places yeah um
0: yeah it is and it is a very good cast i mean you know eddie redmayne obviously an oscar winner um but you've also got Catherine wooderson who i think is going to break out in a big way this coming year because she's obviously also the the lead in alien covenant Mm. um and she's kind of the serious kind of uh, work-oriented a job-oriented american magician who's slightly discombobulated by newt's weird Britishness he's kind of the Hugh Grant of the of the film he is quite grunty He's is a little he? bit grunty he bumbles he? a lot yeah. there's a lot of bumbling and then so uh, Catherine Watson plays Porpentina or Tina for short thank God because can you imagine being called that all the time um, and her sister Queenie is Alison Sudol who I thought was great like I didn't know anything yeah. about her I hadn't seen her and stuff before this and she's really bubbly and she brings a lot of that life to it I think which is yes, good she does uh, and then Dan Fogler as well. He's kind of the way in. If you've never seen a Harry Potter film, he's your way in because yeah. he's your muggle or no-madge or non-magic user who kind of is the one going around with making bewildered faces until someone explains to him what's uh, uh, going on, which is a valuable function, you know, to have. It
2: bothers me that no-madge is spelled with a J. <laughs> it just it just does.
0: I mean, I feel like if that's your biggest criticism, they're doing that's it, okay. it. I'm not yeah. going to
2: start off. No-madge <laughs> with a G,
1: come on. Absolutely. But then it'd be no mag...
0: And we don't want to encourage people not to have a mag. Which, know, by the way, the Fantastic Beast copy of Empire is still on sale in all good and evil <laughs> news agents. That was
2: a fabulous segue. Thank Excellent you so segue. much. This is actually a very good point. And I, what I think is quite fascinating. This is a very interesting film. How it got made, how it came about, how it got put together. And uh, our very own Nick DeSemlin did a very, very good feature in the most recent issue of Empire, which kind of takes you behind the scenes with David Yates and everyone so you can kind of understand how it all came to be. And genuinely, it's well worth reading. Uh this issue of Empire the Fantastic Beasts issue is only on sale now for a few more days because the new <clears throat> issue is out next week <clears throat> so genuinely if you haven't picked up the Fantastic Piece and Where to Find the Copy of Empire I suggest you stop listening now or you know move because you probably listen to it on your phone go to the nearest news agent pick it up grab one just so you can read this
0: Amen all right, so that was a three stars for fantastic beast and where to find them. So that, that is, as we always say, a recommendation. Um, and I think we've sort of explained why it was three and not f- four. But it wasn't, you know, it was it was a, it was a tough call. I'll be honest. Um, next up, we have the second Philip Roth adaptation in as many weeks. It's James Sheamus's film indignation okay so this is actually another one I wrote the review of which makes me sound incredibly like egocentric but uh, there you go I actually had my portrait printed in Lego yesterday so I think egocentrism <laughs> has already gone like is it that in shit a gold has frame sailed.
2: above your fireplace uh,
0: yes it's actually in two gold frames kind of stacked so no one can miss it yeah with with arrows lit up arrows pointing at it and blinking on and off
2: amazing yeah
0: it's gonna be pretty cool um Anyway, so uh, indignation. Um, now, James Seamus is obviously one of the best-known um, writers and producers in Hollywood. This is unbelievably his first directorial effort, and I think it's pretty solid. Um, Philip Roth is famously difficult to adapt, as we found last week, uh, John, in your review yes. with, of Ian McGregor's American Pastoral. Pastoral. Yes. yeah. Um, but I think this one's a little bit better because I think it's a bit more sort of... Internal and less sort of sweeping. Certainly, in time, in terms of its time frame, in terms of its kind of uh, attempt to to sort of encompass a huge story in one kind of neat package. Um, this is the story of a young man, a, a, a butcher's son, a kosher butcher's son, who goes to a college in the Midwest, um, where he is as a Jewish man. He's in a minority, and this is the nineteen fifties. So they're sort of very. St- strict kind of social expectations of what he's supposed to be. He's supposed to go to chapel, for example, um, a certain number of times per term, or he, he risks failing college, even though he is not, you know, Episcopalian or whatever the chapel is. Um, and uh, he's so he's kind of in a little bit of a kind of a cultural uh, Eddie already, oh, that rhymed, <laughs> uh, and uh, and then he gets involved with a girl as well, and of course that further complicates things. I mean, in terms of actual plot, very little happens here. It's a, it's a. I mean, you might describe it as a coming of age story. I guess it probably is. Um, so Logan Lerman as Marcus, you know, he's just. He, he's kind of trying to find his way, way in the world, but you don't necessarily feel like he's got it all figured out by the end either. So in that sense, it isn't really necessarily a coming of age story, but he's just a really fascinating character. I really enjoyed him. He's he's quite self-righteous at times, but he's so convinced of his self-righteousness that it almost becomes kind of amusing in the way that a puppy dog who's convinced he can fight a much bigger animal is amusing. You know, it's sort of it's sort of cute. And there's a brilliant sort of set piece scene where he kind of faces off against the head of the college Um, uh, Dean Caldwell who's played by Tracy Letts and it's it's wonderful because they're both totally convinced they're in the right and they both look ridiculous so some of that kind of very wry comedy that Philip Roth does well kind of comes through in scenes like that and works really well Um, Sarah Gaddon's character um, his sort of on and off girlfriend Olivia is slightly less well served by the script but that's because it's about a teenage boy being in love with some girl so teenage girls in that situation do not come out well but it is it is really kind of funny and clever and sort of contained enough I think it works better than American Pastoral did so uh, I give this four stars cool yeah. Um, so yeah that was me uh, and finally the animated film that's been wowing critics in the last few weeks it's Your Name mm. what can you tell us about this having just discussed Japanese animation which well, we did yes one
1: of the lesser Bond themes I'm saying
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's you know my. Name. Oh, I
1: see sorry Yes Uh, I mean this does feel like a title which is a sort of a a joke on film journalists (laughs) Helen asked me this morning John can you uh, can you prep your name and I stared at Helen blankly for about (laughs) five seconds not really realising what she meant but yes this is the confusingly titled "Your Name" uh, from the director Makoto Shinkai. Uh, I think this is like his fourth or fifth film now. He's he's a former graphic designer, but he's been working in anime for a little while. Uh, and yes, inevitably, he's being compared to Hayao Miyazaki, uh, and I think those comparisons are probably valid. Um, this is very much a, a film in the Studio Ghibli vein. So it, the, the essential story is it's two teenagers one named a girl named Mitsua and uh, a boy named Taki um, who don't know each other. Mitsua is a sort of small town country girl Mm -hmm. who dreams of um, meeting a handsome Tokyo boy and uh, Taki is a handsome Tokyo boy. Ah, Well this seems
0: seems ideal.
1: (laughs) Yes Uh, and then inexplicably um, they both wake up in each other's bodies. Ooh. So it's a sort of it's a sort of Freaky Friday. It's a body swap film, but uh, don't go in expecting Freaky Friday. It is very much not that. Uh, what it actually is is a, a sort of beautiful, thoughtful, uh, gorgeously animated film which explores all sorts of different themes and ideas um, to the soundtrack of some blaring J-pop. <laughs> um, I, I, of course. I, I mean, you know. Pfft, J-pop is perhaps an acquired taste, uh, but but it, it, what's amazing about this film perhaps is how you you don't really worry about that sort of thing because like anything from Studio Ghibli, the attention to detail is astonishing. The the quality of animation is is I mean world class, mm. and the the narrative attention to detail is you know pretty much on the same level. Uh, there are some fascinating ideas explored here, uh, and and it and it's a very sort of at its heart a very straightforward and simple love story. It's essentially a romance or, or a relationship at least. Um, so it's 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 re- really beautiful and quite unlike anything else that's been released uh, this year. Uh, in our review, Dan Jolin uh, said, "If you only see one Japanese animated feature this year." see it, see this one and see it more than once which Ooh. is uh, a big claim and he also said if any film has this, has the right to be called this decade spirited away it's this one so these are two big statements which I don't think he would say without no
2: that, and for Dan spirited away is like up there with scissors and cane right, it's very high price.
1: yeah so uh, yeah listen to Dan Jolin and go see this film we gave it five
0: stars that's five empire stars four oh, five yeah. stars all right well that that is I mean so that is probably the film of the week but let's be honest most of you are going to go see yeah. Fantastic Beasts uh, first first you know maybe you go see both right Exactly that's the see, ideal. see
1: lots of films this weekend
0: Amen to that um, But yeah that's a good week for films And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast uh, Join us next week for more film related fun When we'll be joined by Chris Hewitt um, Also Miles Teller Who's here to discuss his new boxing movie Bleed for this And Robert Zemeckis will be here talking about Allied And a few other older favourites That you might just enjoy um, Until then it's goodbye from John Goodbye it's Goodbye from James Bye And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to give myself an inspirational speech.
2: We aim to misbehave.